Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Welcome in, boys and girls. Thank you for tuning in to your favorite podcast, talking all things career, money, and business, The Free Retiree Show. We're here with Silicon Valley veteran and interview coach, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? And the only attorney you want to go get a beer with, Matt McElroy. What's going on? So welcome into a business and thought leader edition. This is the part of our show where we get the privilege of interviewing super successful people that have done amazing things in their career, who are changing their world with their thoughts and ideas. And for today's episode, we're interviewing Chaha Agarwal. Chaha is the founder and CEO of Impact Study Biz. Impact Study Biz focuses on helping businesses with brand strategy. Chaha helps organizations build and grow their business through leading expert research backed by strategies, which help them unlock their true potential. She is an author and speaker. Her new book is actually coming out this spring. It's all about AI, branding, and marketing. And it's actually going to be recommended at Georgia Tech. Super exciting. She was actually awarded Businesswoman of the Year for 2020. She was mentioned in the top 10 women entrepreneurs by India Forbes. And she just completed a strategic negotiation certification from Yale University. And she's had the privilege of working at one of the biggest startups in India, OYO. And within a two-year time span, she was able to take the brand from $250 million to over $10 billion. So guys, obviously we keep doing this where we're getting these people that are just way too smart, way too intelligent for our show. I mean, round of applause to us. Yay. 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 <laughs> well done, guys. I was yeah, going to well well say the bar love, just keeps going The bar, higher. yeah. This is, it's just like, I think I might slip in. I think, oh yeah, we want you to come on Oprah and then we do the switcheroo, but right now it's working. So what do you guys think about this one? This is awesome. I think AI is going to be one of the new big fields and I'm excited to hear all about it. Yeah, I think, you know, we always talk about building brand, whether it's personal or business. And I think having an expert on, I'm excited about it. I'm just excited to learn. And like you said, man, she's accomplished. This is amazing just to have her on the show. Yeah, it's a crazy list, right? But taking a brand from medium-sized tier company to this massive size, I mean, that is something that not many people have done. So I'm really interested to hear that. And I think this will be a great informative episode. But, you know, guys, we always on the Free Retiree Show, we like to start off with these really deep hypothetical questions. So I'm going to hit you guys with that before we start off. If you guys were a brand animal, if you have to think of one animal that represents oh God, I hate this question, <laughs> you love this question. <laughs> you want to think of one animal that represents the Sergio Patterson brand, the Matt McElroy brand, what would it be? Like my spirit animal. You should have prepped us for this shit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually you give us these weird questions beforehand, but sure, it can be a spirit animal. <laughs> We're just kind of rolling with it today. So, but I just thought about this. That'd be a great idea to figure out your spirit animals. Which one wants to go first? 
I guess if I were to pick my spirit animal, I'd probably say like, you know, I was at the zoo the other week with my son. So it was a good time to uh, do this. I got to see a lot of animals up close. And which one resonated with Matt McElroy? The hippopotamus, dude. The hippo. hippopotamus? All about the hippo, yeah. <laughs> really? You, you know, they're pretty awesome. They're kind of nice or whatever, but if you mess with them or their family, they're crazy violent. <laughs> I could see <laughs> that. Just, I could see that, Matt. Matt, Matt McElroy, you are a great hippo. <laughs> yeah, Matt McElroy is a <laughs> wonderful <laughs> swimmer. So I could see that. I was going more for the seahorse. Because, you know, you are a great swimmer and the seahorse has many uh, wonderful capabilities. Like they can bear the young and uh, give birth to the young. So I was going with that one. <laughs> what? Sergio, what's your, Sergio, what's your power animal? Wow, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. This question actually, because like companies used to ask this dumb question. They took it away because it's so dumb. Because I used to think it was like somewhat your brand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just going to go with a dog. I know this is simple, but dogs are loyal. They're your companion. And they'll be there when you need them. Oh, yeah. Sergio's my dog. I love that. All right. That works. For me, guys, it's the panda. Pandas are kind of chubby. Yeah. They like to eat a lot. Sit around eat Asian. All yeah. yeah. That's my animal. And they, <laughs> they have a good time, though. They seem like they always like to play. So I'm a panda. That's my animal. Well, now that you guys got that really great philosophical conversation, we're going to go to the break. But when we're back, we're going to be sitting down with Cha Hut. And we're going to learn all about what it takes to take a brand to the billion-dollar level what you need to know. And this is gonna be great for a lot of small business owners and just people in general that wanna understand if they're working for a big Fortune 500 company, what it takes, that mindset to get it to that next level. But before we go to that break, if you haven't done so yet, make sure you like our show, like us on LinkedIn, share us, appreciate all the love and support. We're gonna go to a quick break, but when we're back, we'll be sitting down with Chahut. Welcome back into the Free Retiree Show. We're sitting down with Chahut Agarwal. Chahut, how are you? I'm good. How are you? We are doing wonderful. We're so excited to have you, Serge. And Maddie and I, we've been talking about, oh, man, we got this great guest coming on. So thank you for sitting down with us. We really appreciate it. We understand that you're on a completely different time zone. So right now it's the morning time over <laughs> yes. here. What time is it over there for you? Oh, it's almost 10 p.m. Oh, wow. <laughs> you are a good sport. We really appreciate this. I gave the listeners a rundown of what you do. Why don't you tell the listeners in your words what you're up to? So I actually do branding. It's simple. So if you have an idea and you don't know what to do with it, you want to change the world, but don't know how. So through your brand, I help you achieve that goal. It could be as simple as creating a makeup brand that literally serves millions of people. It could be providing simple hospitality to which provides you basic needs like clean bed sheets or some entertainment, Wi-Fi that works, right? And taking it at the global scale just with the power of brands rather than literally pouring in like millions of money and trying to sell it in the traditional way. It's the switch with research and AI on how you can literally leverage your brand and make a billion dollar brand out of it. So that's what it is. Awesome. Is the AI, is it almost kind of make it more cost efficient for the research and things like that to get the yeah. data that you need? Yes, it does. So that's the reason. The problem that exists in the market is that you see that there are some brands that come up or some products that come up, which are really good, right? Amazing startups, but then they vanish in a year or two. You don't hear them. You don't see them. You don't know what happened to the product. Consumers don't even get to experience that goodness because strategy is expensive. Not everyone can afford it. Hence, it is only 
let's say, secured for multinational companies that can pour in money in different sort of strategies and bringing them up together. Asking startups to do that, which are not very well funded, is not fair. That's the reason I use AI to help us bring the cost down so that everyone have actual access to the strategy so that they can you know, literally utilize their potential and bring their products to the consumer so that we also have, as a consumer, I want options, right? I want something better in the market. And that's what I help other companies do so that in the end, we get benefit of better costing, better options and better products. That's awesome. So I've been following you on LinkedIn, like well done, by the way, on LinkedIn, you have a really good brand. Thank you. You talk about brand, you made a post about brand being more important than product quality. And something that came to mind to me was like Apple. Everyone, no matter what Apple puts out, they're just going to buy the new phone every year. And it's not even that much different from the previous year. So I'd love just to hear like more in depth on like what you mean by the importance of brand versus product quality. We don't buy things as human beings. We buy experiences. We buy feelings. We want a sense of community somewhere that we belong, right? That doesn't come from how good your product is. That comes from the brand. So people who buy Apple, it's not because it's the best product in the market. It's because when they buy it, they connect with it. They see a part of it, part of themselves in the product. And they feel that there's a gap, there's market gap analysis. So what consumer wants versus what consumer needs and what is it that product can provide. Apple doesn't give you a better phone, let's say. What Apple does, it gives you, like if it's me, I would buy it because it's pretty. I don't care if other phones might be better. If it looks pretty, I am buying it. So that is my brand. Lee feels the same way. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So you see that there are different sort of market. There would be a group of people who would not care about Apple at all. They will go for a different product altogether, right? Even if you give it for free to them, they will not care because they do not connect with that product. So it's not overall the quality of product that matters. It's about what emotional connect or what is your market? Why would they buy you? Saying my product is best is never the answer. It's what is it that you're fulfilling in other person's life? What value are you adding in their life, not in the technology? That's why people buy Apple or people buy Dove or people buy whatever brands they do buy. When you're working with startups, is that where you kind of push them to really identify their brand before spending so much time on the product? Exactly. I'll tell you a story. So there is this card that came up in India, right? Cars are very expensive. They created this mini car that everyone can afford, which I would say was a very good move. Yes, not everyone can afford a car, but they market it in a way like it literally sounded like you're poor by this car. Get it? No one bought it. <laughs> so, so even though they were trying to do something good, obviously that's not what they said, but that's how the brand came across, that this is for the people who cannot afford a car. Hence, it became less desirable. Hence, it didn't do well. Versus, that's when the study happened and they realized that the other cars, which were in higher segment, they started selling more because people were like, no, I can afford a car. I'm going to buy a more expensive car. I want to show. There were so many car loans that increased in the next two years since that car launched. And that's what people don't understand about the brand. It's about whenever 
you are creating a startup or a product, you don't go with what features I'm going to add to it. You don't like spend millions in research trying to find out what technology I'm fixing. You start with what does consumer want? What do they connect with? Why would they buy your product? Those are the answers you give rather than this is a cheaper car, buy it. It is efficient. You can afford it. Makes sense. I love what you're saying about people buy the brand, not the product. When you yeah. say that, what resonates in my mind is McDonald's. I can't think of a crappier <laughs> burger or crappier fries than McDonald's, but like, I can't think of a restaurant that makes a worse burger, to be honest. But everyone buys them, right? Everyone buys their yeah. burgers and their fries, but it's because they're brand, right? Yeah, it's the Even, family brand. Yeah. Are the fries that bad? I think they're pretty bad. Mm. They're bad. They're bad. <laughs> There's a lot of salt. I haven't had them for a long time. So now they're like lots of salt. Yeah. So the thing is, because I travel a lot, right? The moment I see a McDonald's or a Starbucks, I feel like I'm home. Worst coffee, worst burger, but I feel like I'm home. That's the brand. And I wow. always buy from there. Irrespective of whichever country I am. Whenever I feel homesick, I go to McDonald's, I go to Starbucks. That's what I do. It's a good analogy. No, that's so, crazy insightful. It's literally the feeling. Yeah. The feeling of being home. That makes a lot of sense. For me, it's the same thing. My grandpa, he took me and my sister to McDonald's when he would pick us up from first grade and second grade. And it reminds me of family. Yeah. Going on to the topic of AI. That's such an interesting concept to use AI to cut the cost of what it takes to make a brand a multi-million or even billion dollar brand. Can you explain to us? a little bit more in detail, like how AI is doing that and how that's helping these smaller companies make it with a smaller budget? Yes. I do want to start with saying that it's not that AI is the answer right now, like it's the efficient answer, but it is getting there. We obviously need a lot of development to happen in AI to get to a level where we can actually rely on that data without human help. So it's right now the combination of human and AI tools that we use to create a brand. If we take an example of Starbucks, Starbucks, as a brand, it's all about consumer experience. It is not about the coffee. It's literally about fast, quick, good coffee. You take it on the go. They incorporated AI in their app. So wherever you are, you place the order. The entire backend is connected to it. You have the options as to what is available, what is not available around your area itself, right? And you have an option, either you get delivered or someone comes and picks it up. This complete experience, which although AI would say it's a product AI, not literally a brand AI, but if you look from afar ahead, it's the brand integration in that AI to make it flawless so that it carries the same experience when you go in a Starbucks shop versus if you order from the app. That's what it does right now. There are apps like Color.io, which actually creates color palettes for your brand. So you don't need to hire an expensive designer to figure out what sort of mood you want to bring to your brand. Like if you're in the technology sector, you fill in the details and it generates color palettes for you. That's all AI right now. But then again, you do need someone to do that. So right now, AI is, let's say, a helping hand, which is more working on the back end to make it more cost-friendly or to make the experience better for the consumer. But bringing this AI as to what my company is trying to do is that we are trying to create a software and let's say a person, you, me, anyone else in the world, have an idea, you fill in the details and you literally get the strategy that you can implement 
without thinking twice and it gives you the success rate of it and all the resources you need for it why would you pay tens and thousands of dollars for it to a person when you can do it 24/7 at the comfort of your home on an app or on your laptop so this is the future as to where ai is going in helping brands get better access and create better strategies because whether we like it or not alphago has made it very clear that us as humans we have limited thinking and ai can maybe give us better solutions that we don't know of yet right there might be better strategies that we can implement that we haven't get to because we don't know about what we don't know about that's where ai comes in play where do you guys get the data for the ai because isn't that like a large component of ai is having like enough data to be yes. able to figure everything out so over 80% of my team is gathering data <laughs> all the strategies that we create all the strategies that are created by any company which is out in the public along with the market share along with the financial assessment of each of them what they're doing what was the actual market was doing the economy of a particular country what how they were doing all of it put together give ai a better understanding of why certain strategy would work and why it would not hence the success rate of it comes in play So if I know that say in 1995 this company came in play the GDP of this country was and I wanted to launch a fashion product for kids from the age 3 to 5 if I wanted to do the same in 2022 what would be the success rate and at what cost all of that can be done by AI just with the public knowledge that we do have and the internal resources that we use because we create our own strategies as well so we feed that into AI That's awesome. Are you finding that getting your hands on the data is it expensive to do so and are you having like problems with like privacy issues and things like that? Yes, we do not scrape data. What we do is we actually buy a lot of data, so it is very expensive for us to actually <laughs> while we are building this product. But I know over the period of time like let's say 3 to 5 years the cost is going to come down. So I think it's worth the investment. So we do buy a lot of data. that is out there we even get studies from Harvard MIT Yale University everywhere uh wherever the case studies they teach about different strategies we use those any public data which is available to use we get that and we buy like a big chunk from everywhere in the world so for what you're doing i see that there's a lot of benefit to helping out these smaller companies middle-sized companies yeah. ai that is a concept i think a lot of business owners are like oh what's ai again it's cutting edge it's new if you're like helping out like these smaller business owners or these middle sized companies maybe 100 employees or less where can they start with their brand if they're like we've been in business we've been in operation for 10 years 15 years we're doing okay but we feel like we really don't have a brand the brand is it's iffy how we resonate in people's minds. Where's the place to start? Obviously it feels like AI is like the finish line of branding. Where do they start at? Okay, here's the thing. Even when people do not create a brand, they have a brand. So that's why I always say it's better that you control your brand letting that other people have that power to create a brand for yourself. So if someone is in business for 10 or 15 years, they already have a brand whether they like it or not because all the people they have interacted with, those people have created a perception of who they are. why they buy from them or why they do not buy from them so the first step would be to understand where you stand today 
there is no such thing as no brand unless and until you're a new startup you haven't launched right anyone which is in market they have a brand so first you understand where you stand in the market then you see where is it that you want to be for example if there's a company which is let's say less than a million dollar in revenue they're serving millennials right the potential of any company which is serving millennials is in billions anything less than that there's something wrong with it so getting the exact goal that from less than 1 million i want the revenue of 50 million how do i do that my current brand is that people come to me only when there's some let's say technical error in their laptop the potential i have is that i can be a service provider or the technical support to i don't know like hundreds of people or hundreds of businesses how do i do it that's when the positioning the market positioning come in play it all goes with what's your end goal right so you have to start your little starter point is where you are today and where you want to be 5 years in the future and then we figure out in the middle as to how we get there i think if you're in business for 15 years and you don't know your brand it's probably not a good place like people probably are like you said they have their own perception of the brand that's interesting i wanted to pivot a little bit if that's okay and we don't like to get too political on the show but given that you are indian would love just to like hear the impact of seeing kamala as the first female vice president can you talk to us a little bit about that i love her <laughs> i am so proud of her i love her i'll be very honest i was rooting for hillary as well i was rooting for any women in parliament i just wanted one president one vp and i'm not even kidding i'm not a person who follow politics a lot but oh my god and she won i was in tears i was so happy and it literally felt like there's a change that's been brought it's not just about that she's a woman it's about she is a woman who's a brown she is a woman of an immigrant family so it was a very major shift and i think this collective representation of biden and her it's what usa is that's what at least we see it as in india we see it as a place where everyone is there like it's like a dream world and with Sorry. this particular <laughs> so with this particular set of people that kind of justified if you say america is best then this is america at its best so yes it was a very very good change yeah as that mainly because i know you do some work on focusing trying to find more female founders right and business leaders yeah. in india so that's kind of what prompted that question because i know that's a space you're passionate about right very so i'm a part of un women as well so the whole objective is to empower women in business over 90% of my company it's women most of our vendors are women run companies my objective is that it's not just that we talk we need to walk as well so we need to act on what we believe in so finding women leaders all around the world and especially right now me starting from india to do on that journey it's been tremendous that like we have helped a lot of women who had very nice ideas but they didn't know how to run the business we helped them get to their goals and right now they are so self sufficient and it's going so well and i'm not even talking about women who are educated i'm talking about a really small town in goa where there's hardly like i don't know 100 people max and it's super isolated and i found this lady who had this amazing art of braiding 
she was so good and I felt so bad that no one can see her talent. So I made sure that she has an online business up and running. And when people go to Goa, they can actually do the booking and she gets the business. So she's, you can say, a woman entrepreneur running her business through online now. That's literally what I'm very, very passionate about. So seeing other women in power and do better, it literally gives me kicks. I get super excited about it. Now, one thing we were talking about before we started recording was, you know, the difference of how women are viewed in different cultures. And I think before we were talking about, like, we feel like a lot of countries have a long ways to go. What are you seeing out of India in terms of where you guys are at with how we view women as leaders? Just give us a little bit of insight to that. So people coming from the U.S. I'm going to be super honest here. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> India is far away from considering women as equal. And it reflects in the responsibilities, pay, laws, a lot of things, even violence, right? So there is more violence against women in India than anything else. Women are not paid enough. There's a big gap. I'm not even kidding. Even I have faced it many times. It's a major gap, irrespective of what education you may have, what experience you may have versus if you're or a guy. And if you want to raise funding and you're a woman, tough luck. <laughs> so that's not going to happen unless and until you're in the fashion industry. So um, it's very hard for women in India to be considered as equals or to be given equal opportunities or equal pay or even equal rights for that matter overall. There's a long road and it's going to take us decades. I would say, to fill that gap. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm not going to say, oh, things are getting better. No. It might <laughs> that's be good. getting better, but at a very slow pace. And that's not acceptable. It's not okay. Okay, I'll be very honest. You'll think that, oh, Chahad, you come in magazines, you do this. So there are other women as well. There are. There are, like, so many more women who are doing much better than me. Who like It's a good number that people like to say. But it's not good enough. I fall under first 2% of people in India. Trust me, that's a shift number. If I was a guy and I'm earning what I'm earning, I would never fall in that category. <laughs> so that's how big the gap is. It's not okay to just showcase a group of women and say, look, we are doing so good in the world. But no, you are not really. So if you compare the top women in India versus the top men in India, we don't even fall under like 20% of men who are doing good. So yeah, it's a wow. major gap. Just in terms of like the respect that you get, I mean, just knowing what you do, I mean, yeah. gosh, you've wrote a book, you've done work at Yale, you're on the Forbes top 10 list for India, Women Entrepreneur of the Year. You've done some amazing things. You would command the respect here. Definitely got the free retiree show respect, but anywhere in the US, I feel like people be like, yeah, she's legit. When you do business in India, do you feel that same sort of respect? Or do you feel yeah. like that male dominance is trying to suppress your accomplishments? I'm not sure how open I can be on this, but I'll tell you an incident. And it happened very recently, okay? So there's this person I was talking to and we had a very nice chat. And then she called her business partner to you know, continue that conversation. He was a guy on the phone. He literally asked me hundreds of questions on my credibility and he wanted to talk to a guy 
who can say that I know how to do strategy? I'm not even wow. kidding. That happened. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, because women don't really do strategy. I understand if you were selling a makeup brand. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Offensive. <laughs> no, apparently that was okay. Hey, Matt's and a I lawyer. Was... Matt's a lawyer. He can help you soon. <laughs> <laughs> you think you wouldn't be put through those kind of tests because you got street cred kind of with all your accomplishments and... You know, oh, no one cares. I've been on this funding rounds where there's an investor and every entrepreneur pitches their idea, right? So I was the only girl there. Everyone else was a group of 10 people, all entrepreneur, amazing work they all were doing. But I was the only girl. The investor ignored me. He literally didn't speak with me or looked at me. And when I raised it, I literally voiced it like, what is wrong? One of the guys just come to me and was like, oh, don't take it personally. He's not comfortable among women so it's not you and I just sat there wow. thinking there's no way I'm getting funding for this because if he can't even look at me or even acknowledge my existence how am I gonna fund my company and wow. I wish I could say that was just one incident but there have been way too many we can have the entire show on this, so I'm gonna, like, stop <laughs> yeah <there. laughs> so how do you I mean America has its own challenges right but like what do you think people empower in India? Women, how can you overcome this? I know you said it's decades, but that's like a generation of women who are just not being yeah. treated fairly. How can you speed that process up? You just like stand your ground. Even though this person didn't acknowledge my presence, I stayed there. I did not leave the meeting. And even though when he didn't look at me, I introduced myself and I was like, I'm going to pitch this. Like, this is what my company does. And I want you to listen to me. I knew I was not going to get the money, it didn't matter, but I did want to make it clear that I'm not going to leave just because I'm ignored. I do exist. So unless and until we, we should stop making these things okay to deal with or laugh upon it. Because after this meeting, when I told about this to so many people, everyone laughed. Yes, it is funny. But you do not say, oh, it was a funny thing. No, what that guy did was wrong. So I stayed there. I don't care how embarrassing it was. I was not going to leave unless I gave my pitch. So the next time when he's there in a group of women, he know even if he's ignoring her, she's not going to leave. We need to stand our ground and voice our views so that it's hard to ignore us. That's all we need to do. I love the strength. So going to your upbringing, you come from yes. four generations of entrepreneurs. What have you learned from those four generations? Obviously, they've made you strong. They've made you intelligent. You follow your passion. You don't back down. I love all those qualities. But what have you learned from your family of entrepreneurs? I think one thing I've learned is that you don't stick with just good times. As a business person, you need to know how to lose. A good businessman is a person who knows how to lose well. So when you lose, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to fail. The point is, how well do you get back up? How well do you fix it? And you carry on without breathing a word about, oh, it was everyone else's fault. No, no matter whose fault it is, you just carry on, carry on, carry on. And that's how you build an empire. I know it sounds very cliche when I say it, but I think I'm the first woman entrepreneur in my family, by the way. And I'm also the first, you know, this concept of an Asia, the first child is the heir and all. So I was the only first child was a girl. <laughs> so the fourth generation of all entrepreneurs have been all men, right? And this big shift that happened with me 
one thing I learned, which was very good with my family, is that they did not see gender in the conformed way. If I wanted to run a business, I didn't have to take anyone's permission. I run the business. For me, my parents made the rules same for my brothers. So it was no change at all. But it's a society mindset that you have to deal with. With my family, I got that crazy super strength of not letting the world kick you down. No matter how many times they do it, you just get back up. That's literally, I would say, the biggest learning my family have given me. You know, when I was doing some research on you, I saw uh, something that I thought was kind of interesting. And you were talking about goal setting. And you said you were set goals in three-year increments. And I was wondering why you yeah. chose three years as the kind of increment that you base it on. So there are multiple reasons behind it. One is I'm going to tell you a very, very good secret, okay? Things change every three years. That's it. The market changes. People change. <laughs> what do you even want to do changes, right? So because we are in a phase where the technology is growing so quickly, where people have really short attention span, <laughs> the market is super volatile, three-year is the best segment to go forward with. It's long enough to get your goals straight and achieve it. And it's short enough that after three years, you have time, you have that freedom to switch the gears and then adapt to the market as it's going or adapt to the people's needs as it's going. So it's no longer the time of, I'm sorry I say this, but I can't have a 10-year plan now for the company. When I know there's going to be thousands of new technology, there's going to be thousands of new needs, new diseases, new problems, new solutions in next three years, how can I plan, plan for 10? For me, that's 333 is what I switch in. And another reason I plan everything for three years is that I'm a person who likes freedom. I believe that everyone should have a freedom of choice. And when you have options to do things the way you want and make things better, rather than you're conformed into a reality of this is time bound, you have to do what you're doing for the next 10 years, even if it's fail or even if it does well. No, that's not how things work. You need that choice to change your mind after three years and make it better. Or literally just give it like, after three years, you don't want to run the company, sell it. It's fine. But you need to have that option. A great answer. I agree with everything <laughs> you just said. <laughs> I saw on your LinkedIn that uh, way back when you worked at a place called Hungry Jack's. I think it's yeah. like a Burger King. Talk to us about yeah. how you went from Hungry Jacks to running a billion dollar company or whatever. Or change, you know, Forbes top 10, that, yeah. That's Forbes top 10. That's a huge jump. So like one, congrats, but two, oh, like, yeah. what's the secret behind your success? So Hungry Jacks is actually Burger King. In it Australia, okay. there was some issue of the name patent. So Burger King is called Hungry Jacks in Australia. And when I was in Sydney, when I was studying there, as a teenager, I needed more pocket money. So Hungry Jacks it was, and uh, I would say I learned a lot there. Before that, I had a very sheltered life. I lived in a crazy, stupid bubble, and I thought, oh my God, everything is so easy. Everything is so nice. The world is like all butterflies and unicorns and rainbows. But when I started working in Hungry Jacks, I literally got to interact with so many different sort of people because I was the cashier, right? So I dealt with difficult customers, <laughs> good customers, uh, chatty customers, like always in a bad mood customers. And I think that's how I could understand people. It, it gave me a perspective of how people mm. are in reality. And even the team I worked with, 
and they all are doing so well. So one of them is a surgeon, the other one is internal medicine doctor, other people are running their own companies as well. Wow. So that entire group of people at Hungry Chats, I was very lucky to get to know them, understand what each of their goals were. And it's through Hungry Jacks, I understood operations. So I was a person who was a very curious by nature. I love to explore stuff. So even though I was a cashier, I was like, no, I need to know more. I learned the entire workings of Hungry Jacks from drive through from stocking, from creating burgers, even cleaning. Everything that could have been done, I learned it. And that got me into the zone. And after mm. that, when I started marketing, branding and all, I got to work on a research project with Coca-Cola in Sydney. And it was the same thing. The reason my campaign did better was just because I had that training of understanding the ground reality of things rather than just fancy brand and marketing. That's why it did better there. And same thing I followed throughout to my business now. Any strategy I create, it's not how we can advertise better. It's not just about that. The point is, what is the grand reality? If we make people buy this now, is it really going to profit your business for next 10 years or next three years or next four years? No. You don't force things out. You understand the ground reality of the business and then you build it up. You build a strategy with the business of the brand. Not Brand is not different. Business is not different. So that inner working is what I learned from Hungry Jacks. So it all comes back to Hungry Jacks is what you're saying. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they're the reason for all the billion dollar brands. Awesome. The one thing we talk about here is like, we all kind of have a lot of stress in our job and I imagine that you do yeah. with everything you do as well. And we are like, we talk about how do we deal with that stress? What's a good outlet? And I heard you like to kickbox. I do. <laughs> it's a habit I picked up when I was in Mumbai. I was learning filmmaking at the time and there's a lot of celebrities there. And I was very curious. I'm like, oh, I want to see them. And I saw that a lot of them were kickboxing, right? It started as just replicating what they were trying to do. But then I realized that over the period of time, it's not just about replicating that. So whenever I kickbox, I don't think anything else. It's so intense. You're so in the zone. It's like meditation. I'm a very restless person. I cannot meditate. So for me, kickboxing or running is meditation. And all the stress that you have, you need time for yourself or else I know I can go insane after thinking so much, after working on three, four different time zones. You need me time, right? You need to let out all the stress there is. You need to like switch off your brain. So kickboxing was a gift from the universe as if they were preparing me for the future that, oh my God, you're going to need it. So let's start it right now. And it's lovely. I love kickboxing. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat. I love it too. <laughs> yeah. Me and Lee used to do it a lot back in the day. Lee kind of. I've retired. I've retired for many years. Um, but yeah, Matt, he's retired from Matt, all working out. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Don't judge me. It wasn't COVID. It happened a long time. Oh, <laughs> uh, I have nothing to say. <laughs> well, Chad, thanks for coming on our show yeah. today. If people really want to learn more about, say, their company, they need your help. They want to reach yeah. out for the brand help. How can they do that? Just send me an email. I'm very quick with responding at email. It is contact at impactstudybiz.com. 
And I can literally, I'm not even kidding. I know it sounds a very a boastful thing, but I'm very, very good with quick strategies. And whenever I see an idea and I see people's passion behind it, I'm always interested to help them out in whichever way I can. I would say that irrespective of how small or how big the business is, feel free to drop me an email anytime at all. Thank you so much, Ahas. Awesome. Thank you. Let's actually close Nothing. with one other question. You know, we'll take us out. We're going to ask you about, you know, women that feel like they're stuck right now. Like you gave yeah. some great advice, but like, what's your advice before we close out the show to women that feel like they can't get ahead or they feel that they're being overlooked right now because of their gender? Ask why. I always say this, always ask why. Why is it that you're doing what you're doing? If it makes a difference in the world, if it makes a difference to you, don't give a shit. Sorry, I can't repeat. No, no, cuss. Please do cuss. That's, that's <laughs> our brand right there. It's a free retiree show brand. <laughs> so the point is not to care about what people say or do. Stand your ground. But at the same time, unless and until we know why, you can't stand that ground. Unless and until you know why it matters that you do. It's very easy to get demotivated and say that the entire world is against me. So it's good to remind yourself what you're fighting for. You're not just fighting for, for bringing a difference in, let's say, the business world. It's not just about bringing a better brand or the product. It's about you making a change in your life, you working on your passion and giving someone a power to crush it. It's not good enough. It's not something you should allow. And reminding yourself on it over and over again helps. I have, like, just opposite to where I'm sitting, I have a wall of sticky notes. And it has uh, crazy quotes like, you go, girl, and just say yikes and move on. I would say just have that inspiration wall and look at it whenever someone puts you down, whenever you feel you are not good enough, whenever you feel you're stuck, whenever you think that it's not working out in business or anywhere else in your life or just because you're a woman, it doesn't matter. I have this saying that just because someone kicked you, you pick up your crown and let them know who you are. So the point is pick up the crown and just move on. We are above all of this. Love it. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. 
third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook, Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McGorry do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.